Welcome to Dev Pro Women 2030, a six-part audio series which is part of our broader Dev Pro 2030 series that you'll see on our website. This is where we ask what skills the next generation of female development professionals will need and how they can be successful in helping to change the world. I'm Emma Smith, Senior Careers Reporter with DevX. I'm from Scotland in the UK and I'm lucky to work out of our Barcelona office. And I'm Rebecca Root, a reporter and editorial associate here at DevX. I'm also from the UK and also live in Barcelona. And I guess what we're both looking to find out is how the development sector will and already is evolving and what that might mean for women considering continuing their career in development or even entering it as a newbie. Exactly. So throughout Dev Pro Women 2030, we want to try and find out if those movements that have been happening the last few years, such as the Me Too movement, our sector's very own Aid Too movement, the Women's March and Time's Up, have these actually changed or will they continue to change the development landscape? We're also going to be asking what skills, be it formal education, hands-on experience or soft skills, women professionals will need to have come 2030. So we'll be speaking to recruiters, female leaders and women already working in the space about what they can do to prepare for executive level positions, what skills we need to strive for more equality in STEM and what courses out there could actually help prepare women for the sector come 10 years time. So, Emma, why are we specifically focusing on women? Well, take the global health workforce, for example. More than 70% is made up of women, yet only 25% are in leadership positions. And a further 50% of those females contributing to global health are in unpaid positions. Wow, that's kind of unbelievable in this day and age. Yeah, and what's more, areas such as global health security and financing for health still tend to be very much male-dominated. And even within the development sector, there's a significant disparity when it comes to female representation. Obviously, we really want that to change, but we have to ask ourselves, what can women, be it those starting their career in the space, looking to enter one of the more male-dominated areas of development, or climbing the ladder, what can they actually do now to prepare for the sector of tomorrow? Well, those are some pretty big questions, so I guess we'd better get on with it. So for our first instalment, what exactly are we looking at? So I thought we could start by talking to somebody who's already packed quite a punch in the development space as well as in the political space. And that person's Helen Clark, right? Yeah, that's right. So she is former Prime Minister of New Zealand, former head of UNDP and someone who has made great strides in smashing that glass ceiling. During her time at UNDP, the ratio of women to men even reached 50%, including at the most senior level of the organisation, which is kind of unheard of. Um, And Emma, you were able to nab 15 minutes with her last month, right? Yep, I caught up with her in between her travels and she was able to share some really interesting insights on the changes happening in the sector now, how these are going to impact skill demand in the coming years. And she also shared a lot of great advice for women and particularly female leaders working in the sector. Great, let's hear it. Hi, Helen. Thank you so much for joining us today. So to kick things off, I'd love to know how do you see things or how do you hope things will change for women working in the development space in 10 years time? I think to answer the question of how things would be different in 10 years' time for women in the development space, we need to think about what that space could actually look like. And I think it will probably have the following features. Firstly, there will be many more middle-income countries, and they will be looking for specialist policy advice and skills from development partners and organisations. And particularly for the multilateral organisations, they will need to continually lift their game to be perceived as able to meet those needs because often with middle-income countries, they are 
going off to the big consultancy firms and thinking that they've graduated from, say, the multilateral systems of pension in this respect. So uh, constantly upgrading skills in the organisations will be critical, and I'll come back to the implications of that for women. Secondly, though, the likelihood is that there will still be very great inequalities within the societies of those middle-income countries if what we see to date as countries graduate to that status is any guide. Uh, so in those countries, it, the development needs won't only be about government seeking high-level policy support and specialised skills, but I think there will still be a lot of room for very active program work by development practitioners on, for example, creating livelihoods, on women's empowerment, on youth inclusion and participation, on the rights of marginalised people. And all of that should be done working alongside communities. So that work will still very much still be there. And then thirdly, there are the fragile contexts where today OECD estimates there are 1.8 billion people uh, living and projects that that would increase to 2.3 billion by 2030. And sadly, that's still going to generate an enormous amount of need for sheer humanitarian relief and then for skills and early recovery activity from disaster and post conflict. So the implications of all that for women, I think uh, women uh, should uh, see a future in the skilled policy advice area and technical skills area. A lot of developing countries will be looking at how artificial intelligence is used, how to leverage more from this latest uh, digital industrial uh, revolution. I think there will still be room uh, for women to focus on being program designers and implementers, particularly with uh, those uh, who are left behind uh, relative to others. And then in humanitarian relief, uh, women will be as needed as they ever have been across all parts of that. Now, in all those contexts, I would hope that women will be safe in their workplaces. And clearly there has been unwelcome news about how women have been treated and harassed within development and humanitarian uh, organisations. I think it will be critical uh, that those organisations don't just say they have zero tolerance, but actually stamp out uh, sexual and gender-based violence uh, within them. And then I would hope to see a continuing high profile of women in uh, development leadership. We have seen quite a lot, for example, uh, Winnie de Yema at uh, Oxfam, uh, Helen Thorning-Schmidt at Save the Children, uh, in the multilaterals, I would prefer not to be the first and only woman administrator of UNDP. I think you know, we really need to look for women to be uh, holding the top positions in the wide range of organisations um, uh, you know, on a gender parity uh, basis over time. So now to talk a little bit more about leadership and to reflect on your time in leadership in both politics and at UNDP. What are some of the top lessons that you learned in becoming a, a strong female leader? I think that what a strong female leader has to establish a reputation for is for listening, but also being prepared to make decisions, even if they're not decisions that everybody will like and 
really this is a decision that everybody likes so you have to be prepared to you know, assert and defend your decisions secondly I think you need to be acknowledged as being firm but also fair and understanding human beings as very diverse uh, understand the context in which you are working the context in which uh, your staff or those you work with are coming from, which may be very different from your own. Uh, particularly in international development, you're likely to be meeting with people from a very wide range of backgrounds. And cultural sensitivity is highly, highly important. So is tolerance, acceptance, uh, obviously gender sensitivity, a very, a very, very important uh, skill. Uh, but my experience has been if you stand by those basic principles but firm but fair, listening but prepared to make decisions, actually being kind because often situations require kindness as people get into very difficult situations. All these things matter in being accepted as an effective leader. And now to look again at your time at UNDP, while you were there the ratio of women to men working in the organisation reached 50%. So what advice do you have for other female leaders, or I guess leaders in general, in actually putting into practice the, the good intentions and the policies to actually achieve things like gender parity in the workforce? I think that achieving gender parity does require work. It's not going to just happen uh, because uh, still we as women are more likely to question our ability to come forward for the more senior positions when men don't. Uh, so it is important to uh, be proactive in mentoring and nurturing uh, women's talent and really encouraging their belief in themselves that they can aim for, uh, for higher positions. Now, there are many practical things that can be done and uh, were done at UNDP. Uh, those were to ensure that when you were long-listing, there were women on the panel women came through the long list, same when you were shortlisting, uh, same when you were interviewing, you didn't interview only men, and you didn't have panels made up of uh, only one, one gender. Uh, in addition, you have to have gender sensitivity on an interview panel because you know, for since time in a, in a memorial, women have been asked very inappropriate questions at interviews, not least are you likely to have a family. Well, why ask women that? Why not ask men that? There's a whole lot of assumptions that go with those sorts of questions. So you, you really have to be quite rigorous in, in recruitment and, and promotion uh, when, when you want to achieve gender parity. I think at UNDP we did uh, quite well with the overall uh, ratios. I think in my time we also did very well at the most senior level. We normally had on the senior management team either six women and five men or five women and six men. And we did well uh, also at the level immediately below of deputy directors of bureaus. Uh, we were working very hard to move towards gender parity with the resident representatives. One uh, context which was more difficult to get parity would be if you broke it down into uh, the uh, senior positions in countries which were fragile or outright at war. Uh, sometimes they were family duty stations and women were less likely to want to 
live without family in the capital than, than men were. So you know, that, those were challenges. But uh, overall, I think the organisation, when I was there, responded with a good spirit to the challenge of, of gender parity and became very, very conscious of the need to up numbers and ensure a better representation all the way up the scale. Helen, thank you. I think that's some, some great advice to finish on there. Um, it was great speaking with you today and thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you. Wow, some really inspiring ideas and advice there for both women practitioners as well as leaders and organizations and what I guess we can all do to make this a more equal and inclusive space for women. Yeah, and I think it was really great to hear from someone with Helen's experience and hear her take on those emerging areas within the sector where there might be opportunities for women to level the playing field and to break into more male-dominated areas of development. Yeah, really interesting. Um, But that's it for today. We've come to the end of our very first episode. Well done to us, Emma. Yeah, looking forward to speaking to a lot more inspiring women over the months to come. And so we'll be back in two months with our second episode. Can't wait. Thanks for listening, everyone, and see you then. You can find out more about the DevPro 2030 series powered by TU at devx.com or you can follow us for updates on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter using at devx or join the conversation using hashtag DevPro 2030.